Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hi there, I'm Brian Abana, and you're listening to the Mall Over Podcast. Hello, good evening and welcome to this week's Small Over podcast, the only rugby podcast that gives you the news, views and opinion on the weekend's rugby action, all with a West Country accent. You can find us on Twitter, we are at Mall Over Podcast, Mall Over Rugby Podcast on Facebook, and you can find all of our podcasts on Anchor, Apple Podcasts and lots of other podcatcher type affairs. Uh, another full house this week, uh, Ben, Phil and Doug, good evening gentlemen. Evening. Now then. You right, Ben? Yeah. Ah, good. Um, Thought I'd missed my chance. <laughs> well, you're going to get plenty of chance this evening. Um, that's if you can get a word in edgeways, because um, pretty three, angry. Three, you might see on Twitter on Saturday. Are absolutely hanging out their arses, aren't they? Yeah, that's true. I mean, if I lose my trail of thought at any time, it's because I've had approximately three hours sleep uh, due to the Super Bowl, which is which was decent. Right, let's let's not talk about rugby. Let's let's first of all um, briefly mention France versus Italy. Uh, first game of the Six Nations Saturday afternoon. Uh, do how excited Ben do we get about the French, or do we have to level it off and say Italy were pretty damn terrible? Um, I think you can get excited about the French. Um... Some other games this weekend, which we won't mention, have shown it's not that easy to score tries. Um, and, uh, you know, when they were given the chance, they they took them. I just thought Italy were just, as they've been for so long, they would have a good piece of play, but then do something daft. So they get turned over or give away a penalty. And then their defence just wasn't organised enough to regroup and, and it would cost them time after time. One try was off. They turned over in their own 22, two penalties and down in the 22 in France scored. Um, But to be fair to Italy, um, the new 10 had a few uh, flashes where he looked decent. 
Garbisi. The yeah. Montiuani looked quite good, didn't he? Yeah. You know, that, that famous Italian um, heritage name. Um, other than just one really bad pass that cost a try, I thought um, Varney, Varney, well, it's at scrum half. And, yeah. but, you know, they were just outclassed by France, really. Um, and there's no disgrace in that at the moment. Um, you know, and a couple of those tries are really easy. The one Dulan scored was just almost odd. There's just no, no one in the way to, to stop them going through. Um, I'd be I'd, I'd be more uh, enthusiastic about Italy than I was this time last year because at least they do look like they've got a little bit of threat. Yeah. Um, they it, did score a really good try, um, but I think we know France are a good side, especially with Dupont, um, and I think they're probably odds-on favourites now, aren't they? They did have to be oh, definitely. Um, I think the good thing about Italy was they did show a bit of a bit of flair, a bit of excitement, a bit of want to do something different rather than just kind of keeping to core skills, which they're not good enough at. They they tried to add a bit of an extra element. They, I mean, they had uh, well, they had a what looked like a fairly decent try to me, disallowed for a, for a forward pass. They they looked dangerous at times, but. Yeah, it's it's hard to say too much about the influence this has on the Six Nations other than France look good and Italy might pose a little bit more threat at some point. Yeah, I mean, they carried hard. That first first half an hour, the likes of Negri and the um, the number eight, was it Lamaro? Was he the new... Yeah. The, the the new number eight. They carried hard through the middle and Negri for one, he was always he was always making holes. But they, they seemed to be get then getting in each other's way as they were trying to as they were trying to move the ball forward. Once they'd found the hole and punched it through, they were they were almost tripping over each other. The big the big lock as well was another one that was uh, that I thought had a decent game. I can't remember. Sperodini that might have been Sperodino Sperodio. That's Lazzaroni. Lazzaroni, that's the one. <laughs> I mean, I'm just firing Italian names out now. Russ, Russ Butcher's names of pasta. Is it, yeah, the, the ones that bow ties? Yeah. <laughs> Lovely. Farfully. Um, but yeah, obviously you mentioned you mentioned Dupont there, Jalibert. I was impressed by uh, Villiers, who you know, was had a bit of a, a road, a bit of a journey to get to where he's been. Um, but all over the pitch, they just... they they offer a threat. They carry hard. They've got big guys in the middle. Fiku, you know, is now starting to become the player. I think everyone thought he was going to be. Now he's found that position in the centers and made it, made it his own. You know, he's shifted along the back line a bit, hasn't he? Fiku throughout his France career. Uh, and the likes of Thomas or Thomas, um, and Doulin and obviously Villiers. And, you know, that's without Vakitawa. Rata, Rates, you know, lot, lots of lots of quality they've got to come back in as and when. Um, it's hard to look past France at the moment for for running away with this tournament, and you know the fact the fact that they have to go to Twickenham, I think, is neither neither here nor there because you know we'll we'll come on to that. In a well, minute, you, and you could almost have predicted France becoming a good side when you take the flair of France and the traditional. 
um, ability to to make something out of nothing, and then you put it behind a, a defense drilled by probably the best defensive drilling coach in the last yeah. twenty years. Yeah, let's not beat around the bush. The reason they're good is because their system is good. They've got a well-run domestic league with a structure in place that actually fosters two professional leagues that can churn out players. Yeah, if, but they've um, had that for ten years. Mm, not to the extent that they've got it now, uh, but but I do think I you know you look at they're they're supporting two fully professional leagues. There's even professional teams in the third tier of rugby. Um, if England could pull their finger out and get four or five blokes at the top that could run a league, would be maybe able to compete with their level of output. I think they're only going to get stronger, and I think they'll be the ones that actually move forward and compete with New Zealand. We saw that in the autumn, didn't we? In the final of the, the Nations Cup, where France basically turned up with a fourth string and still gave England a bit of a fright. And, you know, the, the strength and depth that they've got now. And, yeah, and they've, they've, also got, they've also got players that aren't afraid to play. There's no way on earth France are kicking with ball in hand with a five-man overlap. Yeah. I mean, I mean, let's let's get on to let's get on to that, shall we? I mean, did you see the overlap for the um, first French try though? Uh, which one was the first French try? Was oh, that the? Uh, was it uh, Cretan? I think it was scored under the yeah. posts. Yes. Yeah. But the, there was, I think, eleven Italian defenders on the blind side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, after about five minutes or whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah. Bad times for Italy, but you know, hopefully they can they can improve and they can put something together, come up with a result as they move through the tournament. Um, I mean, the reason we're all here is pretty much to talk about England, Scotland, isn't it? What what led from a week of optimism, Ollie Lawrence getting the nod uh, to start at twelve, Owen Farrell starting at ten. Um, I don't think, and I've seen England play, you know, a lot of shit rugby. You know that that tour in New Zealand in two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight. Where was when was the the tour when we went to New Zealand? And got absolutely bummed. I mean, we played some shit rugby then, but that might was against. Narrow, might have to narrow it down a little bit. Yeah. I think. Are you well, not thinking of the tour from hell in Australia? Well, we had one in New Zealand as well. Yeah, but the one we, everyone remembers for all-time bad tours was the Australia one where Wilkinson was the only first-teamer. Uh, that could be right. That, well, that would have been that would have been 2007-ish, wouldn't it? I mean, I mean either way. Well, you know, I've got the internet here. Why don't I use yeah, that? About 98, that? wouldn't it? 98? No, it'd be before that, wouldn't it? Surely. Sorry, after was it 1998? Jesus Christ. My brain literally isn't working. So no, anyway, I, I, right. I was just explaining to um, Mrs. Lensman Mark too, that, um... <laughs> that that's not going to help. I've just hit a wall. <laughs> yeah. I think it's too many head knocks. <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm going to get another one in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, to, to lead me on to my wider point, I don't think I have witnessed a poorer England performance for quite, well, maybe ever, but for quite some time. Now, 
I I don't accept. Whilst Scotland played very well defensively, right? People saying that it was an incredible performance from Scotland. I'm not having that. It's an incredible result for Scotland. A fantastic result. But as far as incredible performances go, I'm not so sure. Because if it was an incredible performance, they would have taken the chances that they had to literally put England to bed, which they didn't. Which meant that right until the very last you know, point of the game where Hamish Watson stripped whoever it was and then they kicked the ball out, England could still have, have won with a try. Which would have been the ultimate fucking smash and grab. So I don't disagree, but equally I don't want to downplay that Scotland did did play pretty well. They absolutely nailed their set plays in a way that Scotland don't usually do. Line outs were spot on. Like it, they it had enough was, penalties too, mate. Yeah, I know. Itoji was getting up there, but the ball was going straight straight to the intended man pretty much every time. Scrums were solid, scrums were good. Hamish Watson, I think, was immense, uh, but he always is. I think Redpath was okay, did a better job than I was expecting him to. But you're right, it wasn't it wasn't the kind of performance where you look at him and you go, Christ, if you guys play New Zealand, you're you're going to be in with a decent shout or South Africa or whatever. They just came up against. They came up against all of the worst bits of England for the last five to ten years that Doug's been ranting about, or not ten years, five years, that Doug's been ranting about, including on last week's pod, without any of the good bits that Ben and I were highlighting on last week's pod. They were There was a complete lack of aggression in defence put together with this systematic formula, formulaic game plan of two hits, kick, two hits, kick, one hit, kick, without any ability for a single player on the pitch to make a decision. And if we've used the term overcoached once on this podcast, we've used it a hundred times. And it was clear to see that there wasn't a single person on that pitch who was willing to make a decision and take a chance. Dan Robson comes in running nine. You see, he's about to take a quick tap penalty and then he goes, Oh no, we're not allowed to do things like that now under, under this system. We've got to wait and play the game. But every single, like, it's just bonkers to have a game plan and not to have any fallback when it's not working. Yes, the players were a bit flat, but I'm sure they could have found something to do to try something a bit different. How many times did Watson get the ball passed to him? I can't remember a single one. He didn't, touch, t- he didn't, he didn't touch the ball, I don't think, till like the, the 55th minute or something. And, and that was fielding a kick. Uh, yeah, time, and that was in R22. How many times did May get the ball passed to him? Pretty much none. Uh, he, he was, uh, yeah, he was bad as well England under the high ball were bad England yeah, and England kicking the ball were bad England's if, discipline was bad kick chase was bad kick but if your kick if your kicks are bad and your kick chase yeah. is bad and you're bad under the high ball yeah why play a kicking game why not yeah. switch it up it, use a big hitting 12 and then spin the ball wide I say May and Watson how many times did Slade get the ball past him oh, he I, think, I think I think twice Ollie, and they were Ollie behind Lawrence, him Ollie Lawrence carried once for three metres in like the 60th minute and then got taken off. I mean, like it's poor, just... What a fucking poor bloke. You start in, as an international to do a specific job, you know, to run hard, to break tackles, to, to get over the gain line, and you've got a fucking wallet. I don't I can't even get an insult out for Owen Farrell. Like, I'm... I can't remember the last time Owen Farrell had a good game for England. Oh, I can't God. remember. 
Yeah, I was going to say a sausage wallet. <laughs> I was going to say a fucking... I don't know what I was going to say. A fucking walloper. I, I, I got confused between walloper and... Something else. And <laughs> fucking all sorts of shit. Anyway, like, when was the last time Owen Farrell had a good game for England? We're playing this, this kick strategy, which we talked about in the autumn. We talked about it last week. We kicked a lot. We kicked against Italy in, in that last game of the Six Nations. And it didn't really work. I think the execution of the kicking was poor. We're trying to box off of nine. And Ben Young's, it's a well-known fact, Ben Young's is not very good at box kicking. We've highlighted it and mentioned this on several occasions. Yet they still persist with doing that. And then another nine that's not very good at box kicking and so when he comes on the box kicking actually gets worse if that's possible because it was pretty shit anyway and then you've got Owen Farrell playing at 10 who doesn't want to use his centers even when we've got like a five-man overlap and he he tries to kick it now that that to me is absolutely inflexibility of game plan good players and Owen Farrell is a good player. He's, you know, he's arguably one of the best in the world in the, that 10-12 position. But it's almost like now he, he doesn't know what he is. Is he a 10? Is he a 12? Because he did not manage that game at all well in the weekend. Well, and- I think James, oh. our friend James from uh, Rugby Saracens, I think he probably had it right when he, because he, he's been saying for weeks they shouldn't be playing any of the Saracens players. And I think, although Otoje did give a, a couple of penalties, I thought he was a little bit unlucky with at least a couple of them. And a couple of them. Look, don't get me tough. started on Andrew Brace because I don't want, I don't want to, I don't, what I don't want. And I, I sounded salty as fuck on Saturday that we lost when I was, when I was tweeting because I was so angry. But I thought, I thought Andrew Brace, that as well as the only thing worse, and Andrew Brace on that pitch on on Saturday were, were England. I think I, I don't. I said partway through the game. I don't think he's biased. I just think he's fussy. Shit. Yeah, didn't um, think didn't think about him being biased. I just thought he was shit. Yeah. Just, every single, every breakdown when we had the ball at the breakdown or when they had the ball at the breakdown, he had his eyes lasered in on Itoji. How many times did you hear him say four step back four step back four? Just looking at Itoji and looking at the midfield. When it was the other way around, he didn't he didn't say anything to Scotland. And Atoji was behind the ruck. He wasn't even a lot of the time he wasn't even anywhere near offside. So, so he that, was um, laser focused on that, him. That second that um Itoji penalty just before uh, just under our posts in the first couple of minutes. I think that's a fair enough call. Itoji was being a bit lazy there, rolling yeah. away. Um, but the penalty against him after he charged down the box kick from Ali Price, ran through, got the ball, got tackled, and then repositioned himself and put the ball out there. That was I mean, Johnny that was... Hill for sealing off, wasn't it? No, it was Itoji for holding on. He signalled holding on. It was just an awful call. But what? That's, what just, frust- a, that's just a really frustrating one because it's basically rewarding scotland for bad play exactly and what what really frustrates me is is the fact that if you watch the last half an hour every single breakdown is three scots going in off their feet every time not supporting their own body weight and never get get called for it you can call a penalty every single ruck if you wanted to 
The referee could legitimately call a penalty at every single I mean, one. So then he's cho- so then he's choosing. Sorry, Ben. He's then choosing to penalise England more than Scotland. But go on. He could have given us forty penalties in the second half, and it wouldn't have made any difference. True. True. Um, but yeah, what I was sort of, I got sidetracked by a toje. But the other Saracens players that weren't anywhere near what we're used to. You know, we've spoken about Farrell. Um, Billy was Billy was flat. non-existent. Um, George, you know, his line-out's usually really reliable, but I thought Karen Dickey looked better when he came on. Um, and um, we'll probably get on to Daly in a minute. But, you know, J- James has been saying for weeks that they should all be rested with the exception of Itoje, and I think he's probably right. Um, you know, and yeah, we're saying England have got a kicking game plan, which they do, but I can't imagine the game plan for any, any moment is to kick it right down the throat. Of a of a player with no kick chase, which is what Stuart Hogg's oh, Stuart Hogg's quality. Yeah, in the last five minutes, you know that we were pressing into their twenty-two twice and just just kicked the ball straight down someone's throat. There was no chase. It's just that that can't be any kind of plan that anyone's got. Um, so I think just their their whether the, whether whether you guys are right and they're over drilled and they're just doing the same thing over and over again or whether. Whether the Scottish defence got into their heads because their line speed was excellent, whereas ours was wasn't near nearly what it what it was. We said about the kick chase was bad. When we got into the air, normally you know seven out of ten times our back three chasing kicks will field them, and I don't think they caught one clean. Um, and you know the, the chase was bad, so the Scottish back three were were making some really great returns, and they outkicked us, even though we were kicking the hide off it. It's just bad, you know, so, <laughs> there's low energy. I think you said that, didn't you, Phil? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, Ben, you said the Scots line speed was excellent. I thought the Scots line speed was what you'd expect from international rugby. They came up as a flat line yeah. at a reasonable speed. It wasn't like um, that yeah, World, Cup sem- World Cup semi-final where um, England were right up in the face of New Zealand every time they got the ball and pushing them back. Farrell had plenty of time to think about making a decision. He just had a fairly tight blue wall there in front of him to decide whether to go round or through or whatever. Um, I mean, there was a time when uh, it was Farrell who did it, wasn't he? He got the ball. We were about on their 22 and he got the ball and put a little kick through for the winger to chase straight into Stuart's Hogg's hands. Yeah, that was one of the ones I was talking about. It was just absolutely terrible. But England's line speed, it was like... It was like Newquay Hornet's second 60 minutes into a game on uh, Bobman in the middle of winter when you're carrying six stone of extra mud round with you. Well, I, I think it was... I, I want to give credit for this because I, it wasn't something that I noticed myself. And I think it was Tom May tweeted. He, he posted that uh, screenshot we've all seen of Farrell kicking with the five-man overlap. Yeah. yeah. But what he also said is it what's... Or, just as concerning is um, how many Scottish players aren't in that picture. Like you said, they've dropped out of picture because they're waiting for the kick. Yeah. Because they know it's coming. Um, you know, I think, I think the other thing that, that, that is probably frustrating is we, we had a chance, you know, it, England were getting absolutely battered in the first half. They're only 8-0 we down. down. Yeah. Well, only 8-0 we just... down. And then, um, the, you know, Finn Russell had a rush of blood um, and, you know, that's that was their chance, you know, 8-6 at half time. Um, 
And other than that one kick away, Scotland can completely controlled the next 10 minutes. You know, there was no urgency from England. There was no, don't know what was said at half time, but whatever it was didn't work. Well, I think, uh, I think that they got so, they got, they got, they got penalised to death so hard in that first half that, you know, what was it? Was it 10 penalties at half time? I'm sure, I'm sure it was, it was right up there. And they, they were so, so when, when Scotland were in that yellow card period, um, they, they just were able, they didn't go anywhere. If you notice that, that 10 minutes, they didn't go anywhere. They just kept the ball, almost knowing that England couldn't really compete because they'd been pinged so much. So that they'd been ping, almost pinged to death and frightened of, of doing anything to try to try and get the ball back at the ruck. Um, one of the things that, that frustrated me the most was um, Vodopola's yellow card. Now, I you don't see it very often, and I don't know, you know, I don't know really how the laws work with regards to this. But England given away a number of penalties all around for number of different offences. I don't think I've ever seen, you know, a bit like a, a centre midfielder in football where he goes around, runs around kicking people for 10, 10 minutes, you know, little niggly fouls and just goes one, two, three, four. Yeah, you get a yellow card now, persistent infringement, fucking give it a rest. Billy Vinopola, yeah, it was, a, it was a high tackle, not yellow card worthy, but it was actually, I think he bounced off of Johnny Hill and it was, you know, it was a high tackle. Right, no qualms about that at all. That Andrew Brace went well. I've, war- I've warned you. You gave away a penalty over there, 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 all for different things. So he's going to the bin. Now that to me is bullshit, and I don't uh. think I've I don't think I've ever seen it done or applied in that way because ultimately the giving away a penalty it's not. If it was in, in the 22 for consistently slowing the ball down, then you're doing it for a reason and you should be punished. Every time England gave away a penalty in loads of different areas of the field, Scotland were able to clear the line, clear, clear to touch, put pressure on England. That's, that's, the, that's the pressure. Why is somebody getting a yellow card for a, a, a very soft high tackle on the halfway line because he's now applying some kind of totting up process? Absolute bullshit. Yeah, I think you're probably right, Russ. I think if it's if it's red zone, if it's ten yards out, even if it is just for a high tackle, repeated penalties in the red zone, you say fair enough, it's a it's a yellow card. But they're all over the shop. Um and on the penalties, there was a there was a bit of a chat on uh on the Twitter group about um about England's attack not not being good enough or the props, the forwards not giving the backs a solid enough platform, which is why we were giving away the penalties. We gave away 90% of those penalties, in my recollection, when we didn't have the ball. It was our defence that was giving away those penalties, not not our attack. We didn't have the ball long enough in attack to give away a penalty because yeah, <laughs> we kicked it away. But no, you're right. I, I just, I can't see it. Um, on, a, on a technical point, um, Alex Corbusiero, definitely well worth following on on Twitter, has picked I, up on something. I saw this, Phil. Yeah. Over the last, he's been he's been hammering this for the last year or so with various different sides about 
um, second row positioning. Um, and there's a there's a screenshot that he's put on that shows the England second rows. And this is in the second half when most of the subs have come on. The England second rows have a good 18 inches between them of, of clear space. And as a result, the England props have about a foot between them of clear space and the apes pushing on absolutely nothing. So when you're there, particularly as the scrums get longer time-wise, it, it all comes onto the front three to carry that full weight. Whereas the Scotland core, that six down the middle, three, two, one, are all in a dead straight line. You've got the flankers out at an angle pushing in. And as a result, you've got a full eight push going on there. Um, and it's something the Irish have done, uh, changed a lot recently um, and in particular, uh, CJ Stander used to do it where he would do that kind of split split leg stance and holding on to the second rows and pulling them back before the hit. And then when the hit comes, leaning forwards. And the reason you're doing that is because the second rows don't have their legs in a solid enough position to take their own body weight. So you're having to, to hold them back. And as a result, the whole thing's looking to lean forwards. Whereas if the second rows change their feet, have their feet on an even stance, close up, tight together, everybody holds their own body weight and you can push in a straight line for longer. Real technical thing, but I really like the fact that somebody's gone to the effort to point it out and to to show it who knows a lot more about this kind of thing than I do. It's a great it's a great point. That's a good it's a great I didn't I didn't see I didn't see that. So I think I'll um I'll look at that. Doug, um I still I know don't know what it. that means. <laughs> Doug, I know you're at, you're at London Irish, so your your viewing was was limited live on on Saturday. But have you got any have you got any thoughts on on England on Eddie Jones and etc. Well, I think my I think I summed all that up last week, mate. I could probably save us ten minutes here by not repeating myself. <laughs> but um, I think we need to stop thinking of Scotland as this sort of Italy, like full fat Italy, if you know what I mean. They're 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 probably the my favourite team to watch. They've got a lot of good players. You've got to remember that there's players not even considered good enough for that side at the moment, like um, Hutchinson at, at Saints, um, um, who was the and others. Hugh yeah. Jones. Yeah. Um, you've got the guy at Newcastle, John Hardy. Barry Graham. Who, who probably would have been in that squad had he not have really enjoyed going on the bugle. But um, toot, toot. I think I think they're just a good side and they show what can happen if you've got players who have got a bit of spark and that want to do things with the ball. And I'm not even upset we lost, really, because I think the only way things are going to change is if we lose. What I will say is, I said this to Ben last night while we were watching the Super Bowl, if you go back and listen or read anything about the performances of England in the World Cup, even going back that far, we didn't play well in the World Cup. We had one good performance, and admittedly, it was probably the best England performance of 15 to 20 years. But we weren't that good. And I think the fact that we keep scraping out ways to finish top of these no mark tournaments and six nations and <laughs> it's like it, when we got like when we got to the final of twenty seventeen. Uh twenty seven. Yeah. Two thousand and seven. We we beat probably the worst Australia side ever in the quarterfinals. 
we beat Tonga and we beat America. And even in that Tonga game, for a long time, we couldn't get the job done. And I remember being in a bar in Kumagaya watching that game and thinking, and the Welsh were giving us all sorts. Um, they they were giving it all that oh, we want to play you in the quarterfinals, you know. Um, so don't dress up. We're, we're not playing good rugby. We're, we're getting the job done, which is great, but it's not going to be enough to beat South Africa and New Zealand on a regular basis. And and that's the the top and bottom of it. And you can say he's doing this. Oh, they're just concentrating on defence. They're just doing X, Y. It, just stop with the bullshit. Eddie yeah. Jones has got to stop with the bullshit and he's got to pick players on form and he's got to pick players that, you know, he's got to create a little bit of jeopardy in that squad because I think there's so many players there and these Saracens players are basically in an armchair. Oh, well, we don't have to play. We don't have to do anything. And if we play bad, we're still going to get picked. Just rock it's up exactly England. the same problem that the England football team had under Ericsson and then late, later on Capello. Had a load of players, Stephen Gerrard, John Terry. Didn't matter how bad they played, they were getting picked for the next game. And I think that's sort of set in a little bit with England. There's a little bit of selection complacency going on. So, so before I say anything, Ben's uh, got one of these automatic Skype backgrounds on, and he's just taken a drink, and his glass—I assume it was a glass—merged into the background. So it looked like he was pouring water from nothing down his throat. Um, <laughs> Take take an example of that, Doug, and uh, Ben alluded to it earlier. You've got Elliot Daly, who hasn't played a good game for England for quite some time. But not only that, he's played some shocking games for England. And he's shown himself to be pretty lacking at various times under the high ball, pretty lacking at various times tackling-wise. His attempt at tackling Van der Merve for their try was just abysmal. It was the kind of thing that, you just like if a kid does it at under 15, the you hang, the rest of the team hangs their head in shame. It was just absolutely shocking, um, and yet he keeps getting picked. And we've got Anthony Watson, who's a natural fullback, and a glut of other wingers wanting to come and have a have a go. With, but, with Daly, uh, it's, have, you've got him in there because I, I I assume the idea is he becomes a playmaker, and you're sacrificing. Um, some of the sort of natural fallback attributes for a playmaker, but he's not doing that. It's like Russ said in the France game; he was just running straight ahead into the first chaser. There was no, there was nothing other than that. And, that and he's got he's a big a, boot. Yeah, and he's just joining the line, and it's either not it's, getting to him or being kicked away. So you might as well pick a, a fullback that can do the fullbacky things. Let's look at the facts, right? We've probably got the fifth best scrum half playing scrum half. We've got the third best, maybe fourth best fly half playing at fly half. Sometimes he plays at 12 and he's not even in the probably, well, he's probably top two or three 12s. Then you've got a, a 13 who should be a 12. You've got a fullback who should be a winger, a winger who should be a fullback, a second row that should be a, a, a flanker that should be a second row a number eight that should have been a flanker, probably the most destructive flanker in Europe not playing. It, his selections are just completely bizarre. He's picking Paolo Adogu, and you're fair play. You've had a couple of good games at 12. He's picked him in the side 
with no intention of playing him ever again after this Italy match. And believe me, he'll play in this Italy match and then that will be him gone. He selects a shadow squad, which makes absolutely no sense at all. He signs his mates to coach the team. He has picked an attack coach who has been a sevens coach for the last 15 years. Someone tried to, he's, sorry, but someone I'm not to finished. tell me. On... I'm not, no, let me finish that he's <laughs> sucking millions of pounds out of the RFU on the regs, which is consequently having a knock on effect for the championship, which is ruining the feeding line through to the premiership. So he's ruining two, he's ruining two leagues the women's game has been picked apart and destroyed to fund the men's team. You've got training camps which are completely random and useless, but when in a time when everyone is just saying players need rest, the man is sucking English rugby dry and he's going to destroy it. Him and the people that are in charge at the RFU are going to ruin English rugby for the next 20 years if they carry on down this path. And it... Yeah. Frankly, I just want him to go away. Yeah. I made the comparison on Twitter of Eddie Jones to Jose Mourinho. And I don't know whether you saw it or whether you... Well, just... Yeah, except Jose Mourinho is actually successful. Well, he has been successful. Um, What's Eddie Jones actually won? But it's the... He beat South Africa with Japan. That's it. That's all he's done. The the obturate and... The insistence on sticking with a game with a game plan that clearly doesn't work. You know, I get the premise of playing without the ball and forcing teams to make mistakes. I, I get it, but that relies heavily on the kicking game being accurate. Now you're gonna, you should know within the first 15, 20 minutes of a game if your kicking game is going to be on point and, and accurate. And then you need to start. Then you need to kind of rethink. Don't keep like the definition of insanity is go keep carrying and doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, right? You know, and and that's the same as Mourinho. Stubborn tactics, stubborn people, blame the players. I mean, I I I did say in my tweet that they refused to take any responsibility. They they put it all on the players. Eddie Jones then came out and said, "Oh, I I." I prepared the, the team badly. So then somebody decided to to tell me that I was an idiot and he took responsibility. The fact that he took responsibility for one game, did that swallow does not change a summer or make a summer. It's it's a it's a history of just ignorance as far as I'm concerned. And the point about Simon Amor, Doug, that you made, obviously sevens coach, some other guy decided to tell me, well, yeah, you know, the the reason England's attack isn't great because the attack coach has only been there for just over 12 months. Well, so fucking what? That's his job. Like, he, he, can't, he can't coach an attack that is literally non-existent. England's Let's... attack on Saturday was non-existent. You're totally right. Let's let's wind it back a little bit to something you said. You said to get a game plan that doesn't work. Well, actually, if his game plan is to uh, play a kicking game, an aggressive kick chase, an aggressive defensive line, turnover ball, spin it wide, see what happens, like happened in a few of the games, that's a game plan that does work. Where Where he has absolutely zero skills is in going five minutes into a game Shit, this isn't working. We need to we need to move to Plan B. I don't reckon any of the players have in their head a Plan B. 
I reckon they only have a, this is exactly the way we're going to play for the full 80 minutes. They don't have a, you you, you hear it in all of these coaching things that, that teams have plans A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And at some point somebody goes, right, we're going to switch to doing this. I don't reckon they have that. They have one way of playing and only that one way of playing and zero flexibility within the whole thing. And when it doesn't work, it doesn't work spectacularly. And when it does work, it needs absolutely everything to go 100% right. There were games in the autumn when we said Ben Young's looks looks half decent. But then nine games out of 10, he looks like horseshit. So actually, let's let's have a game plan that if you're going to keep picking him, says what it's going to be like when he plays horseshit. He can't kick the ball. And we need to do something different. If you're going to play Ollie Lawrence, use Ollie Lawrence. Smack him up the middle a few times and get him thinking about he's going to be getting the ball. Then then you can play your kicking game because you've got that second threat or vice versa. The point is you're just doing the same thing over and over and over again. You're not you're not keeping them guessing. And Ben, you you even said about the Scotland players that they were just dropping off for the kick. Yeah, yeah, so you knew exactly. it was coming. But but what I was going to say is 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 we should also shouldn't pretend that Scotland were winning the game by playing like they were three or four years ago. They they actually played the game plan that I think England would try to play on a good day. Yeah, they they defended well. They um got quick ball whenever they could um and they um they actually kicked a lot but they kicked a lot better than we did but if they saw something was on they went for it rather than um what England were doing you know when when England play well it's because they're getting fast ball and they're 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 using um big runners close in off the 10 and then then they go wide and if they can get if England can get quick ball and a lot of that does depend on um, Phil was talking about Lawrence, but obviously normally it would be Tua Laggy playing that role. If he's if he's in and and he's um, making ground, and the two Vanapolas are making ground, England like a completely different side to what they looked like on, yeah. on Saturday. We had a we had a period we had a period of a set of phases, maybe five or six phases, and it was Ben Young's off a line out, if you remember, who yeah, managed to cross the on the crash, yeah, which is the fucking honest thing. Um, and we went through some phases and we got quick ball and we went through and we were punching holes and it was going well. And then Ben Young's, like they said on commentary, David Flatman said on commentary, oh, um, not Flatman, it was um, Hastings and, oh, fuck, can't remember. Um, oh, England had too many options for Ben Young's there. But like, no such thing as too many options. No. So he had too many options yet chose to just throw the ball on the floor and pass to no one. Like that, that to me is that's absolute bread and butter stuff. And you cannot, you cannot continue to make those sorts of mistakes. And if you you can't pick your option as a nine, you either hit your 10 or you hit a forward. That's it. Well, he had two for, he had two forwards running straight up the guts and Farrell in behind. And he just, he just didn't do either thing. Clue, don't give it to Farrell. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's just, it's just so, so frustrating. But uh, what, what frustrates me as well is you've got, um, you've got some really good players out there, like the Simmons, like Jack Willis, who's flirting around the edges, like Marcus Smith. And Eddie will say that he won't... Don Brandt. Don Brandt. He won't pick them because they don't fit the system. 
But Ben Youngs doesn't fit the system. Dan Robson certainly doesn't fit the system. He's not a kicking nine. That's, that's absolutely not his role within the team. He, he says we won't pick him because they don't fit the system. And the players he's picked don't fit the system either. Yeah. So You're making if a you mistake of debating something that Eddie Jones said as being re- remotely grounded in fact. I'm not debating it. I don't want an answer. I'm telling <laughs> him he's wrong. <laughs> he's just full of shit. He's full of shit. He's a pathological liar. He's, he lies almost as much as Donald Trump. And and this this game's been coming for eighteen months. It, this 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 result could quite quite easily have happened against Ireland in the autumn when we didn't have any ball. Johnny May scored that breakaway try, if you remember. I think we discussed it last week. Like we we didn't play very well in any of those games in the autumn. We beat Georgia. We limped over against Georgia. We beat Italy in the last game of the Six Nations. We um, we beat Wales, and they were shit anyway, so that doesn't matter. And like, like you're right. This this has been coming because like Scotland knew how we were going to play on Saturday. They they just knew exactly what we were going to do, and they obviously prepared for it. They obviously worked on it. And you know, it was it was easy, it was. Easy. Whereas, Scott, whereas Scott. we've done the the fifth division thing of saying this is how we play, so this is the way we're going to play. Absolutely. I said I said it on the on last week's pod. Actually, uh, a back row of of Curry, Wilson, Vunapola isn't what you want against Scotland because yeah, Watson right. and Ritchie will tear you to shreds, and they did. You need you need something that's a bit more mobile. There, you play Wilson at eight and Willis. On the flank, yeah. Or you just need I'm, something that's a bit different. Earl, yeah. Oral, yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You you did say that last week, and and you're right. I just want to sort of the leave on on the coaching piece. Of one, the best, the very best coaches prepare their teams to go and win those rugby matches. But what they also do is they give them and create an environment of of freedom that. If they, if that particular game plan isn't working on on the field at that time, the coach can't. Once they step over that white line, the coach can't affect anything until halftime. So what they do is then they create an environment that their leaders, and in this case Owen Farrell, who obviously playing at ten should be controlling the game, have an environment to alter and change said game plan when they see things aren't working. And I don't see that England environment. You know, I could be completely wrong because I'm not in there, but I don't see that England environment being open and honest enough to for the players to express themselves outside of that game plan when things aren't going their way. And that, to me, is a really, really big problem. Agreed. I, I think if that was a club side... I think we'd have seen similar to what happened to Harlequins. I think we'd have seen a load of players leave and go elsewhere and the other players revolt until the coach has to go and and gets replaced. Happens in team sports around the world, in all sorts of sports. So there you go. That's that's England. They play. If that that was the West Indies cricket team, the players would all be on strike by now. That's right. Um, But England play Italy this weekend at Twickenham. Um, You know, the result will be what the result is. It'll be an England. It'll be an England win. 
do you think that there'll be an an alteration in game plan? Do you think there'll be a, a significant alteration in personnel? Doug, you mentioned you fully expect Paolo Adogwu to come on, probably even off the bench, just to really rub salt into the wound. Do you, do you think there'll be three sunsets on Saturday? We'll do exactly the same we did against Italy. We'll just score more points because Italy are shit. They'll stick in. They'll stick in Mako Vinopola and Sinclair because they can. Sinclair's is Sinclair back now. Yeah. yeah. Sinclair's back. Mako is he fit now? I mean, I must have been when I saw today. when I saw that front five before the match. I did have a little flutter. I was like, that that doesn't look as strong as it normally does. I thought Stuart had a half decent game, but. You know, he doesn't really strike fear into you. Um, He's not Mako, is he? No, I, I think. Sinclair. Yeah, I think that. So Phil's right. I think those two will come in. I mean, I, 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 I said earlier. I think I dropped the Saracens players other than. Um, the they shouldn't be in the squad anyway. There, there's been rules. They're not untouchable. Their team's been relegated. They shouldn't be playing. Stefan Armitage. Exactly. Well, you, well you Mark, think... Mark Wilson was made to go to Sale on loan last season. I, I genuinely thought Phil was trying to get Armitage in the team then. Josh <laughs> no, McNally literally no. had to leave London Irish. Remember, because the year London Irish got relegated, he got called up to the England training squad in the summer. Yeah. And he knew he had to leave Irish to go to, to keep that sort of ambition alive. And he went to Bath and, you know, it hasn't happened. But, you know, it changes the direction of, and has changed the direction of many players Many many players' careers. I mean, look at the Zach Mercer. He's, I just I, I just don't want to talk about. It. He's a, he's an absolute wonder. I want him gone. I mean, I I did think, in, in terms of changes, I've I, I've not been greatly impressed by Johnny Hill yet, or Robson. Um, so I think I'd put Laws back in. Might give Randall a go off the bench. Uh, Willis Willis should have a field day against Italy. Go on, Doug. No, uh, just another thing. Like every coach that's ever coached at, at Sale says, there's no different. Ben, ben and Tom Curry are just as good as each other, but somehow Eddie's just crowned Tom as just being better, and Ben doesn't get a look in. Never even been in the squad. You know what I mean? This guy's an idiot. I mean, you can legitimately have him just in the dressing room couldn't you and just send him out with a seven shirt just yeah, play that, for 40 minutes each that's really yeah. that's a really good joke Russ you should probably tell that to everyone because no one's ever heard it I doubt hey <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired why are you being a prick <laughs> hey I I think we could all pick a 15 that would do a fantastic job on Italy no no let's not say a 15 a 16 a 15 and a coach who would do a fantastic job on Italy the reality is it's not going to happen he'll throw a few changes in because he has to he'll play the same game plan and it will probably work and he'll feel vindicated in that game plan and he'll play it for the rest of the six nations and the RFU ballsed up when they said that he was going to go at the end of 2020 or whenever it was and then they let him extend his contract for five years he bent them over then massively. Um, uh, John Mitchell's just uh, signed on again, so chances are that Eddie Jones will be uh, handing over to him when he goes. We've all got that to look forward to. Right, cool, cool, cool. Um, let's just get off of that before I literally drown myself in a bath with a toaster. Um, 
Wales versus. Uh, Would there be room Ireland. in the bath for you and the toaster? <laughs> He's got one built in. Toasty maker. Literally, just such a prick. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even got the energy to argue with you. Um, Wales versus Ireland uh, was a pretty shit game. That was a pretty shit game, wasn't it? It, it was, was a pretty shit game. Like, I mean, was... even the red card, like Ireland played well with the with the red card, but Let's they, they ran out of gas. The most blatant red card ever as well. Yeah. Oh, and there's people saying, oh, back in the days, that would never have been a red card. Of course it flipping would. Yeah. yeah. He literally put the point of his elbow in his mouth. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I saw, did you see the, the immediate criticism of Wayne Barnes? Because he was blindsided for that left, for the left elbow. He, he said, oh, carry on unavoidable because Thomas Francis was, you know, he wasn't in the position to compete. So there was no real reason to clear him out. But, you know, he, he was he was still there. So he cleared him out with his elbow to his face. Wayne Barnes couldn't, right? So everybody was like, how the fuck can you not see that? One guy on Twitter said, literally, he, I think I, he said something along the lines of, well, we all at home had the same view as Wayne Barnes. Yeah. Did we fuck? I'm not sure we did, man. I'm not sure we did, mate. <laughs> so, so Doug, when you work internationally, do you sit on the ref's shoulders? Yeah, fucking yeah. hell. Um, I, I was so, actually there. Um, oh, and yeah, it, of course. It looked bad from my corner. <laughs> Which but corner? From, you, from you, you know, the idea of having the TMO is that yeah. if the, ref, the referee keeps the flow of the game and if the TMO spots something, he'll, he'll deal with it. And that's what happened. Worked perfectly, I thought. Yeah. yeah. Did you see where um, one of the Irish players fell to ground and Tipperich rang past and he kneed him in the head, like completely accidentally? No. Did you see that? I saw him knee Johnny Sexton in the head. It was, it was Sexton, yeah. So Sexton Sexton just fell over, went straight into Tipperich's knee. Tipperich never even saw him. I bet he had uh, a moan about that, didn't he? uh, He was having a moan. But I... um, I, I, as a sort of experiment, I, I went on Twitter and thought, I wonder if I can find one. <laughs> and I did. Someone might have sent off for it. T- Tipperich was great. Yeah. Um, Tackley made in the 83rd minute, having playing, played for ages. Yeah. And uh, was it Henshaw was through? And he chased him down. Yes. I, um, I, thought, I thought it was an interesting game because I thought there were a lot of good performances in it. Um, I know he's not the favourite of the pod, but Alan Wynn Jones got through a hell of a lot of work in that game. I, I thought he was decent actually. Well. State, first time in a while he's been been decent. That must be maybe the, maybe uh, the slap from Adam Beard has given yeah. him a kick up the ass. Jake Ball. Ball. Uh, oh, fucking Jake Ball. See, <laughs> I told you I'm, I'm not my a fan baby of brain. North at thirteen, but I thought he played really well. Um, yeah, the, the problem really Wales has got. Wales are really struggling for for centres and wingers at the moment, and they're going to be missing uh, Johnny Williams and Hallam Amos. And uh, Davis is still out. Williams comes back in, but th- they're going to struggle to pick two centres because they haven't got two fit. Well, they'll oh, be, and, be, and be. Tompkins has got Tompkins a shoulder North, issue. No, uh, Tom Tompkins might be injured. He's got a shoulder injury. Oh, Jesus. But but I thought uh, to be fair to Ireland, Jamie Roberts. Once they went down to um, fourteen, I thought they played really well. They dominated um, that end of the first half, didn't they? And that the end of the second minutes. half. Because they really carried the ball really well. What and was they, Gareth they, Davis doing at the end? There, that was the that was bizarre. But but I thought Henshaw was really good. And, yeah, he was. Um, 
Henshaw and Ringrose are very, very good. And I think they've... They started to build a bit of a a partnership a few years ago, didn't they? Mm. And then all of a sudden it was all about Bundyaki and like, um, neither of them could get in to play together. It was either Aki and Henshaw or Aki and Ringrose. And I think Henshaw and Ringrose together per- complement each other perfectly because a lot like, you know, centers 12s of days, days of yore, um, Bundyaki never passed the ball. Yeah, I think he. I think they liked him as a as an outball for Sexton when he didn't know what to do. Just give it to Aki. Sexton's washed, man. He needs, yeah, 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 he is. Yeah, and Murray. He's they're they're half the players they were five years ago. Yeah, um, they're, they're, I, I'd I'd love to see Henshaw and Ringrose outside Marcus Smith. I, I think that would work fantastically. Don't yeah. give Farrell ideas, mate. He'll do that. They'll find an Irishman yeah. somewhere in Marcus Smith's. Uh, <laughs> Lineage, but the no, other guy I, I thought played well was Burn in the second round. I thought yeah, he was brilliant. Burn is he was he's, all over he's an unbelievable player. Yeah. Um, but they, they had some injuries as well. Obviously, um, Ryan was mm. injured, wasn't he? And yeah, you know, they had some some interesting stuff. But oh, fuck me, but no, Ireland did play really well. Um, Wales, I think, I don't know, they they just looked a bit rabbit in the headlights still every time they got the ball. It looked like they didn't quite know what to do. Um, and I think Dan Bigger's doing a reasonably good job of trying to marshal some players who don't really understand what's being asked of them yet. That's that's the impression I get. Um, I jokingly say Jamie Roberts, but anybody who's watching the, the Mickey Mouse 14 or whatever it's called... Um, absolutely raves about how he's getting on at the moment and says that he's the, he's the form centre in that league. A new lease of life at the Dragons. Yeah. Well, mind you, Richard, hometown. Hibbard, mate, hometown. Richard, Richard, Richard Hibbard scored a hat-trick for the Dragons the other night and they still lost. I always thought some of the criticism of Jamie Roberts was really unfair, though, because he, he he's one of those players that he might have one trick, but it's a really good trick. But he's the best at that trick in the yeah. world. And and you know if you if you're asking him to do something completely different, he's probably not going to be able to do it. But you know, we're going back a long time now. But but those Lions tests he played, he was he was yeah. he was unplayable. So, oh, uh, Jamie Roberts, Roberts, Roberts and George O'Driscoll. North in the centre. Nobody else is getting the ball, are they? <laughs> yeah, that, those the um the Australia tests when we went down there and and Roberts yeah, O'Driscoll uh, was yeah, and in South Africa, you know, yeah. But, you know, we're going back a long way. But I just thought, you know, he became almost a bit of a joke. And I thought that was very, very unfair. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think we've, we've criticised the Wales sort of centre options for a little while. But, like, you know, George North did have a good game yesterday. Johnny Williams, you know, for all the issues he's had, and it's great to see him back playing. I don't, I don't see Johnny Williams as an international 12 by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know... He he could have seen himself, and there's been a bit of clamour from uh, from our Celtic brethren that he should have been sent off yesterday as well. Did you see that? Ludicrous. I thought that was absolutely mental. What what camera position were you in, Doug? You were you in the corner? Uh, I was in the corner of both of Wales's tries, so I got oh. the shot of Reese Lewis... Yeah, that the try. You got that shot, and that yeah. was a good. It was a good finish. Yeah, it it was a good finish. Yeah. I mean, it was six, you'd expect him. You'd expect him to finish that. 
Yeah, but the commentators were acting like they've never seen somebody dive for the line before. Well, they don't watch rugby league there, do they? <laughs> it's true. The one-handed dot down. Um, do you see either of these sides threatening the French? No. No. I don't see either of them threatening Scotland, to be honest. That's interesting. I mean, Scotland... I, I think Scotland are the team to watch, mate. I think they're, I just think they've, they showed against England that they can win both ways. They've got, they've got players that can break a game open, but they've also got very sort of cerebral yeah. tactical game plan up their sleeve as well. If they need what? it, and I think Townsend's finally starting to put his stamp on the team. They're, they're, um, moving away from that Vern Cotter kind of whatever that his style was into this team that as I mean, Townsend wants, he wants them to play as we spoke about last week, what's in front of them, heads up rugby and, the, and to be able to adapt. They're not going to get a better chance, are they? They've got Wales at home, France away, Ireland at home and Italy at home. It doesn't matter about home in a way. That's the one thing I would say about this, this, um, six nations. I remember taking Craig from uh, Long Snapper down to Millennium Stadium to watch this fixture about three years ago, four years ago, maybe. And the difference was just staggering. Like, there's nothing quite like the atmosphere of a Six Nations match in Cardiff. And it just seems wrong to be playing these games like this. It, it's a waste. Uh, does it feel quite soulless in the, in yeah, the stadium? Yeah, totally. Totally. Always. Massive stadium. It's, just. It doesn't matter what the standard of the sport is. It, it's like watching a local Division 5 league play their cup final. You know, when, when you, you get your big game, you get your trip to a conference league to league yeah. ground. To uh, I remember playing a cup, remember playing a Somerset Cup final at Twerton Park. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't matter that it's Twerton Park. It, everything echoes and it's just yeah. a bit soulless. And, you know, there's no anthems. I, whenever I do an England match or a... A Wales match, you get so stirred. I get still get stirred up by the emotion of the anthems. Yeah, it's it's a bit farcical as well. The players' social distancing yeah. for the anthems that, as well. The Ireland team <laughs> spread out bonkers. across half a pitch. Yeah, and then as soon as the anthem finished, they had a had huddle. A nice big cuddle, yeah. It was, yeah, it was the same in the England game. It was it was literally from the try line to the halfway line. And, and then they're all bonkers. fucking laying on top of each other for eighty minutes. Yeah. Incredible. But this, scenes. I think, this Six Nations has has the potential and probably will be the worst six nations in my memory. You've got France who are looking really good. You've, you've got Scotland who are considerably better. And I wouldn't disagree with Doug's analysis that they could well finish second. You've got Ireland who look a bit, they they played well, but they still look a bit like they're not quite sure about what they're doing. You've got Wales who are massively in transition. You've got England who play a dull, boring style with a coach who won't, bend and you've got Italy who just aren't well I don't know there's there's signs of some regrowth but there are they aren't up to scratch yet it it could be for for quality of rugby it could be the worst six nations in memory I also found it really odd that when the fake crowd noise was switched off when the goal kicker was going to do place kicks yeah, yeah I, th- I thought my i just thought the fucking uh, TV the broken. most pointless thing the like, fake the crowd can't was really it. bad wasn't it yeah oh, it's awful. Uh, they've, they've kind of it's not 
perfect in the football, but they've kind of got it <clears throat> half right. But, uh, I, I was I was listening a bit to the to the cricket on Talk Sport. The fake crowd noise there is even worse. There was a massive cheer from the crowd after a push to the covers for yeah, no run. Yeah, pushes to covers. It loves it, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Brian Lara cricket. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Six Nations this week, as I mentioned, uh, Italy go to Twickenham, Wales go to uh, Scotland, and then it's Ireland versus France on Sunday. Um Premiership this weekend. Doug's mate and his Sail Sharks team went to Bristol and uh, sorted Bristol out. And they Sail did a real number on Bristol. I don't know if any of you actually actually watched it. It was they really really did a number on them. It was defensively as good a defensive display as you'll see. And no Redrada really. Well, obviously it makes a difference to Bristol, but. They they couldn't seem to get get the ball out and Sale were just all over them. They shut them down in literally every single department. So you know, Sale will be will be there or thereabouts, I think. And you know, whilst they didn't look great in attack, Sanderson and his uh, boys 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 will be <laughs> um, will be treating some teams with with some contempt in defence uh, on Saturday. Doug, you said you were at London Irish for Gloucester London Irish. How was that? Brentford? It was all right. I like mean, at one, point in the, at one point in the first half, there was more tries than rucks. There were two tries <laughs> in the first two minutes. Yeah, didn't they, didn't they just go from end to end, try, yeah, try? It was, it was weirdly mental. Defence optional. Um, <clears throat> uh, Irish are pretty good. And Gloucester are not which uh, I think we may have mentioned. Talking to teams that are not very good at the moment, but uh, Harlequins continued their good form since the departure of Paul Gustard away at Bath. Uh, ben, are you still you starting to worry about Bath? Yeah. Okay, if great. You, if you looked at that Bath side, it didn't look very inspiring. No. Um, we said it about Gloucester last week. I just... Uh, uh, There's... There's something wrong there as well, isn't there? We don't know what it is, but there's something not right. Players leaving. Yeah. And they're going to sale at the weekend as well. Which well, they never win at sale. It's not on a Friday night, is it? Probably, mate. Usually I don't imagine. Yeah, any, yeah. any sale home game usually on a Friday night. Yeah. Um, what else? Exeter played Newcastle yesterday. That was a pretty uninspiring game as well. I think the weather hasn't helped this weekend for for a lot of these matches, but Exeter managed to grind out a win against Newcastle, who defensively Newcastle looked very, very good. Like, really organised, tackle hard, great line speed, but going forward, they don't... Other than Radwan, um, who didn't actually play on Sunday, they don't look great. Well, let's let's be honest, right? Um they were playing Exeter for a start. You tell who me, and Exeter team... haven't been great, mate. No, no, but you tell me a team who looked good against Exeter, a team that, um, a team, a team that uh, do themselves justice or, or impress against Exeter. Yeah. I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure there are many. Fair, fair comment. I just um, the, the game I so, watched just wasn't very good. And the game before that, they lost to Bristol. 
Yeah. You know, fair enough. They handily put away Gloucester. They lost narrowly to London Irish, who are proving to be a form team in the league. Um, and they've beaten Wasps. So I think maybe everyone should just sort of chill out a bit about Newcastle being rubbish. I didn't say they were rubbish. I didn't say they were no, rubbish. But mate. I've seen a lot of it saying, "Oh, Newcastle honeymoon's over, isn't it?" Well, yeah, their honeymoon's over. They've lost to New- they've lost to Exeter and Bristol. But do you know who else has lost to Exeter and Bristol? Fucking everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true, true story. Um, Saints got another win away at Wasps, Doug. Yeah, um, doing their best to be. I just think Saints are uncomfortable being good. They just need to, they can't just win. They just need to make you uh, want to rethink your life choices every time you watch them play. <laughs> oh, amazing. And then the other game was uh, Leicester, a bit of a, a try first, Leicester versus Worcester. Um, yeah, I want to pick you up on your point about Worcester building something. Yeah. I didn't make, I didn't, I didn't really cotton on to it last week but you did a little bit and now have, i regret they've it, been massively. building something for about eight years mate then i mean they're building nothing other than a team that will just avoid relegation well i think if everybody has their way they'll be avoiding relegation permanently soon anyway so well funny you should mention that because i don't know if you know i, I wanted to mention this earlier but the rumor were that was that premiership rugby had um, agreed to scrap relegation for this season didn't know that yeah, um, but so Premiership Rugby, so I don't know if they released the statement or had made somebody had leaked that they relegation had been scrapped for this season. Um, but BT Sport lodged an official complaint about the rules changing, and um, the Premiership have gone back on it. Wow! So I don't blame BT Sport. <laughs> No, I don't. It, it seems. Plans were for a 13 or 14 that, club premiership next season, which yeah. is what it should have been eight years ago, when the other top, when the other two leagues that you were playing against were 14 clubs. It should have been yeah. 14 years ago. And, but the vote, but the vote wasn't about ring fencing. It was just for this season that BT Sport wants some relegation in there to add a bit of jeopardy. But and, and you can see it. All, you yeah, can see it already been... that that the the clubs don't think relegation is happening, and hence Gloucester and Bath are, are going through fairly large overhauls of their playing squad, thinking now's the time to do it. As long as um, BT are paying for the rights, what they say will matter. And I can't imagine BT wanting to be involved in a in a league where there is no relegation because they'll be showing matches that have absolutely no bearing on anything from about November. Which we discussed um, at length last season, which is what it felt like, wasn't it? When Saracens yeah. already gone. I mean, obviously, just... obviously I, I, I should be a little bit careful because I, I, about what I say and how I say it on on this, but it's not a good look to Sorry, be. No one listens. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's not a good look to be changing your mind halfway through a season and then unchanging it. It seems a bit rudderless. <laughs> which for, uh, which for PRL is, uh, you know, part of the course, the isn't it, surely? But, I, you know, and I know that I just wish, just wish, like the premiership of, premiership football have been 
they've made it work for them this pandemic they've they've said right if we're all going to be playing we're going to play every night of the week and we're going to dominate the market yeah where's where's the forward vision with rugby well here's here's why is every game happening on a saturday 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 afternoon doug um i was sat at home in between the wales uh, sorry the the france italy match and then england kicking off on bt sport there was uh live german football there was a live premiership football match and there was some other maybe i don't know alpine skiing or fucking something on bt sport three all the the premiership matches were all behind were on the app so you couldn't just watch it on a channel. You couldn't even red button them. You had to watch the had to watch them on the app for whatever one you wanted to watch. Now, why not have two game? Why not why not why not split those games over on a channel and go right three o'clock, five o'clock, twelve thirty, three o'clock, yeah. Sunday, twelve thirty. I don't know o'clock. why they haven't done what Premiership de- Rugby and uh, Football are doing. Just dedicate just- a fucking channel to it. Yeah, you could have, I said it this weekend about the championship, you could have, with these championship fixtures, the championship could be playing Wednesday, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, premiership Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or the championship could be doing Monday, Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, premiership Thursday, Friday, Six Nations, Saturday, Sunday. Ultimately, when there's no fucker in the stadium, it doesn't matter when the game is. It doesn't matter, and you're going to get more eyes on your product, but they just seem so reticent to take a chance... Like, what is the the what is the need to play all these games on a Saturday? Other than just a lack of creativity or thought, you look at the top fourteen in, in the, the top fourteen in France. If I bring up their fixture list, one sec. French top fourteen rugby fixtures. They, they've got games Friday, Saturday. You know, obviously it's Six Nations, but they play their games at all kinds of times. You know, they move the fixtures around. So if if you're going to be playing these games on a Saturday, why aren't the Premiership insisting that there's an 11 o'clock kickoff, a 1 o'clock kickoff, 3 o'clock kickoff, 5 o'clock kickoff? Yeah. It, it, just, it makes no sense because you're not going to piss off the fans. They're not there. And then you might get 25% extra people watching rugby all day. What I mean, just dedicate a, dedicate a channel to it. Like I've I've had personal experience of this with Forces Rugby when I try to get involved in doing some production with them, and you you can sort of say you can you can present ideas, but ideas only get you in the door. No one actually, no one actually wants to take the chance that, but. Rugby is in a position where it needs to take a chance because if it don't, it's going to die on its ass, and all you're going to have is 12 clubs in the premiership playing each other every Saturday. And it, it's not, it's not the same. Like the people that the people, the people that are running this stuff come from an era where people work Monday to Friday and Saturday was for sport and Sunday was your day off. And it, and it's just a legacy thing. Yeah. You know, the reason people aren't playing rugby anymore is because they work on Saturdays. <laughs> Young lads work on Saturdays. That's what they do. And there doesn't seem, you know, we've we've said it for years that 
second and third team games should happen on Friday night. Get people in the bar, fill the bar up. Yeah. Why are you playing? Why are you playing all your fir- all your adult fixtures on a Saturday? You hit the nail there with the Premier with the with the Premier League football and that you know comparison where the th- you know spread the games out over over a whole week. You know you might have a, a couple of games on each night, but right, this Monday every sa- single day. Yeah, every yeah, I mean it, it's tiresome, but. If you, love, oh, yeah, if you love if you love football, and Premiership I've, I've football watched, on tonight. It's FA Cup I've, next three nights, then yeah. Premiership for four nights on a row. I've watched more football. You know, I I took on Sky Sports, mate. I've watched so much football this since yeah. lockdown, just, just because it's on. Because it's on, yeah, exactly. And if you're a rugby fan, if it's Championship rugby, you would watch rugby because it's on. It's just it's a real missed opportunity. And if there's any people out there that administer rugby clubs around the country, when you come back. Play your twos fixtures on a Friday, your ones on a Saturday if you want, and your threes if you've got a threes, or your Colts on a Sunday, and get people in the bar all weekend. Don't just get them there for one night. Get them there all weekend. Put a Wednesday night fixture on. Put put the vets on on a Wednesday night. Why are you doing it all on a Saturday? It doesn't make any sense. Half an hour each way on a, on a Wednesday night. Love yeah. that. Exactly. I, I have no... We At Dunstable, we had... As you as you know, the, the midweek Cowboys, the bar was full up during the game. The first team had come down and watch all the shitters playing, and all the people who you know who used to play in the first team but can't because of work commitments. You've oh, got to do this. You've got to start thinking a bit, a little bit more outside the box of how rugby's at, at college, given to had, people. We had games on a Wednesday for what's called the intramural matches so against the other university departments which was a bit like a second team, but there were plenty of people played on a Wednesday and then league matches on a Saturday. Um, and you'd have two nights on the piss. Yeah. We used to play all of our RAF St. Morgan matches on a Wednesday night. It was fucking brilliant. We played all of our, we played all the local teams. We used to travel around like anywhere, obviously anywhere with lights, we would go and we'd have, we'd play, we'd, we'd have games pretty much every single week and we play each team three times a season. What and do you we, reckon would happen, Phil, if you brought that to the the committee at uh, Hornets? Oh God, no! There'd be no hope. So the problem the Hornets have got is that they don't own the bar or, or the ground, right? Um, well, so that, in actually, that instance, it's different. Yeah, that, but know. and it's but, as much as the facilities are fantastic, and the club has to do nothing towards the facilities, it cripples it as a club. Um, because you can only have there's only there's three pitches there's only one with floodlights and you're only allowed the pitches on certain times because other people are having them at other to times give you, to give you a comparison and you get no money for the bar somewhere like Hale right they would get old Nigel on the bar right they'd switch the bloody lights on on five o'clock on Wednesday afternoon they put the Nigel on the bar and they'd get people in there and then by seven o'clock the lights would be warmed up and it'd be ideal. Yeah. When I was when so I was playing in Mid Devon, we we trained twice a week, Tuesday, Thursday, and everybody who trained was in the bar for two hours afterwards. And there was enough of us. I, I um, captained there for my last season, and part of the duties oh, of being captain was that they give you the the keys to the clubhouse, and you have to go and run the bar after training. Um, it's yeah, it's the way clubs should be run. There, there should be somebody in that bar every night of the week. Because rugby, rugby clubs are all there. complaining about having no money now because they've missed out on two years of X, Y, Z. But they're not willing start, to open. 
Yeah, you, then you, you need to think of a way out of it. And what better yeah. way out of it than having your bar open three nights a week? Yeah. Yeah. Agree. Once Per and Porth get their new clubhouse, yeah, they could just play tour insides on a Friday night for six months. They don't oh, absolutely rake it in. Unbelievable. It'll be so good. Uh, Why only right. six months, Ben? Well, there'll be lots of people about in the summer and the bar before people come off the beach because oh, the car do it, all, do it all year round. Well, you, you, yeah. Anyway, right. You know, this single hour podcast has, has gone well. Um, let's get off and do some other stuff. Uh, it's been a pleasure. We'll all be back hopefully next week. Um, talk about some more rugby. Hopefully uh, by next week, we might have a, a little bit more from the powers that be about how we're going to uh, get back to normal. Now everyone's being vaccinated and, and stuff. Um, I'm not going to offer out in any other business this week because we've been going for long enough already. So uh, with that in mind, we'll see you boys next week and uh, go well. Nice one. Yes. Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions. Supply.